0: You're listening to Crawl Radio. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge that Kroll broadcasts and operates on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people from the Kulin Nation. Uh, we pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded.
1: Good evening, listeners, and welcome to the radio show. Babs, how are you?
2: Feeling really pumped.
1: I drank a super mate. My heart is racing. An incredibly stacked docket tonight. We've got historians. We've got meme theater kids. We've got venture capitalists. Who don't we have? Gucci. Uh, wait, well,
2: <laughs> mainly not not my wife. Not can, your wife. Cam won't let my mum my wife leave voicemails anymore we're uh, taking a hiatus from that so
1: i don't like it when you air our grievances on air but yes i hated your mom's voicemails <laughs> um we've got a big docket today we've got helmet newton uh, including an interview with a jewish fashion historian we've got babs uh, discussing and kind of explaining the gucci show to me including the Walter Benjamin and Hannah Arendt erudite quotations we've got club night guest list uh, live reading of their experimental meme page play which is uh, happening at miscellaneous very soon then we're talking about Milk Run that demonic startup that everyone's probably seen haranguing their Instagram ads and what's the oh the you wanted to explain
2: a beautiful Liberal Party ad that uh, graced our screens about a week ago. Um, I'm explicitly apolitical. I would never talk about politics <laughs> ever in a professional or personal capacity. So we're just talking about it as a bit of a, a media notice post-election.
1: Yeah, and I'm an ecstatic centrist, so I can't wait to get deep into this golem ad. If you haven't heard it, um, prepare for shock horror ASMR. So let's kick off with Helmet Newton. Um Babs and I both attended a show that was at the Jewish Museum. It opened a few months ago and it's on for the rest of the year. Um, And it's all about the German Australian fashion photographer Helmut Newton. Uh, I wrote a review of the show for Memory Review, if anyone wants to read it, discussing his background as really weirdly uh, for someone that is kind of like essentially the most, I would say like the most influential fashion photographer of the the 20th century. Yeah. Well, who are you looking at? The Vivian Westwood campaigns in Nigeria or whatever.
2: No, who else do I like? I know I'm really bad with photography. We can talk about it, but like, I literally can't remember a single photo I saw at that show. I find unless something's on a screen with photos. What about like the four sexy
1: supermodels striding towards you? Barely. Okay, well, that's see it in my mind. Um, I personally think he's like one of the most famous fashion photographers, which I like find that information based on how many times i reblogged him on tumblr circa like 2011 so that's my metric um he became hugely successful as a vogue photographer in the kind of 60s 70s and 80s but not many people know that where he got his start was on flinders lane babs what was your experience of the historical element of the show
2: I showed up Friday afternoon last week pre-opera with another friend at the Jewish Museum. I'd never been there. I'd always assumed the Holocaust Museum in Elstonwick was the Jewish Museum, but as we should always remember, Holocaust, Judaism, not the same thing. They
1: can do fashion too. Yeah. Though it is worth noting that uh, Newton had fled Germany because of.
2: Yeah, he had had to leave. He had a wonderful time though apparently on the trip as a prisoner of war. Um, Great. Yeah the menu for his time on the on the tr- the ship was held in the museum. It's like half gallery half museum experience. I had a good time walking in uh with a friend in front of us were three older women who were doing that thing where you're in a public space with another group of people, and you're all wanting to have a good time, and you're like kind of casually trying to become a group <laughs> all together. Um, I and like I had a smile
1: from across the room. It was
2: cute. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Like, I had a little bit of deja vu um, flopping down into a beanbag to watch the opening film in the exhibition, a bit reminiscent of going to see Bella de Amos porno at Centre <laughs> Editions the other week. Also, Friday afternoon, Bean bags, porno, once mm. again making me question why I've been prioritizing art above Shabbat dinner with my family. But.
1: Yeah, if Helmut Newton is known as the King of Kink, Abella de Damu, the Queen of Vanilla. <laughs> I still tuned in. Um I don't the, believe in the monarchy. <clears throat> the monarchy? Alright. Um, true. What are you? The rabbi of in between. Um the rabbi of See What Strikes Me on the Night. Uh, Anyway, the main Helmut Newton photos that he's very famous for are all these black and white images of like essentially really sexy ladies in lots of fashionable positions. He like made this very famous Yves Saint Laurent campaign of two women kissing and smoking together in Paris streets and hotel lobbies. One of them wears a suit um, famously called Le Cigarette Suit (laughs) and there's another very famous one of a woman being devoured by a crocodile with just like her naked ass sticking out the back. I like the photos. Do you like them? Like, what do you think about them?
2: They're pretty fun. I, I like the way that the show contextualized the way that Newton himself had grown up uh, in Germany, you know, during the, the rise of um, Aryan and Nazi propaganda. And he was really influenced by media at the time and the representation of the the womanly form as it was in that period. I, mm. Cam, Cam I, I was a bit struck by Cam's review recently. Um, because of the way it really took the the, the woman's body as the key artistic form. Pabbs
1: thinks I'm a body fascist, but I just think I'm an aesthete with standards.
2: Well, it, this really, like, I've been reflecting on it and thinking about his work, and it is quite intriguing. He grew up in a time where people's bodies, but especially women's bodies, were being represented in this very strong athletic way, sort of like on top of the diving board, hands on hips, and it's kind of intriguing to, like, see that lineage in a Jewish artist coming straight mm. from the Nazis.
1: Well, a lot of people argue that he has a kind of like deep Aryan imprint and look he looked a lot at like Lenny Reifen, how would you say her name? yeah Reifen- Reifen- Re- <laughs> Lenny <laughs> <laughs> she's a bad lady. Um, <laughs> but I think that, like the thing that I was more interested in, because like part of the review is I was like kind of heavily criticizing these other really shit photo twenty two photos. But I'm interested in him as like a commercial photographer that because he made so much work and was incredibly prolific, the actual formal composition and kind of sophistication of the images is like really beautiful in my opinion, which isn't true of a lot of other kind of shitty little film photos that I was subjected to at photo 2022. But that is just like my personal taste. Other people probably would disagree and think that they're like really misogynistic and objectifying images. Um, What we thought would be interesting to talk about, though, for everyone that is kind of already familiar with Helmut Newton as a fashion photographer is that Babs and I were keen to interview Leslie Sharon Rosenthal. Do you want to tell the listeners who Leslie Sharon Rosenthal is?
2: Leslie is someone who knows what's what when it comes to Flinders Lane, oral history and fashion. Uh, She wrote a book called Schmutters that was unearthed by Cam. Unfortunately, you can only go read it in the State Library or, as I've just discovered this week, the Paran Mechanics Institute, which is a library in Paran for Victorian and Melbourne-based history. You can become a member. You can take the book. I've got the book out. It's quite obvious. Leslie is fascinating, super smart, knows heaps of stuff, obviously has a strong skill for getting stories out of people. Mm. So we're going to give her a ring um, and ask her about – her process of collating the stories of Flinders Lane as this location of basically Jewish fad- fashion history. For those of you who don't know as well, just say Schmudders is rags um, in particularly the 20th century. But before that as well, um, Jews did a pretty good job of getting into the rag trade. Um, yeah. Mm. You know, issues with owning land, getting into industries that didn't want them. It was a good place to start from the bottom. I went to uh, a friend of mine's great grandmother's funeral last week. Um, Long life to them. Um, Rest in peace, Luba. And it it was kind of awesome hearing about an alternative story of um, Luba and her husband and their experience coming here after the war surviving she was a fucking rock star partisan who shot down shot down nazis with the russians in the forests at the age of 14 and they ended up in moorland on sydney road running a schmutter shop which was way less commercial than these ones that Mm -hmm. were considering hers was basically ended up they said being like just a social space where people of all backgrounds a lot of women would come and get fabric and get things repaired, not large scale. Whereas the, the Flinders Lane pursuit was sort of a lot of earlier, earlier, it's a, it's a bit of both, but there are kind of, um, two distinct trajectories. Yeah, let's Otherwise, ask Leslie
1: yeah. about it, though. Okay. Leslie, author The real, the real Le- historian. The re- I know you're, a, you're a, um as Babs got told for a job application once, amateur Jewish knowledge. I think that Leslie is like a true expert, author of Schmatters, stories of fabulous frocks, funky fashion, and Flinders Lane. We'll give her a ring now, on a landline nonetheless.
2: Dialing into South Yarra in three, two... <laughs> what hello hi Leslie Hello, this is Leslie. Babs and Cam how
0: are you hello Babs
1: and I'm, I'm also I'm Cam the co-host hello Leslie I'm a big hello. fan of your work
3: oh thank you so much for thinking of me That's lovely. You're welcome.
1: You're on the air. We've got you live in the studio on our digital radio station, and we're very excited to speak to you about schmatters and history on Flinders Lane. Um, (gasps) Where
3: do I start? Where do you start? What was your What was your name? My name's
1: Cam. C A M.
3: Cam. Her stage
2: name is um, Clam with an L. Yes, that's (laughs) right.
3: Where do you start with Flinders Lane and that history that goes over so many decades? And I think Flinders Lane's reputed to be the oldest street in the city in Melbourne. And um, it just grew this creative community from nowhere, from a few warehouses near the docks. And I, w- I became fascinated with it. I made a short film in 2000. And not realising it was on Flinders Lane. And it just, from there, I just got so involved and and so interested and fascinated. I started documenting the stories of all these families. It's groups of families and migrants. And the fascinating thing is they came over and all got into the garment industry in some way or another. It could be Mm. textiles, it could be... Um, fashion. It could be um, uh, even, uh, you know, trims and zips and and machinery. (laughs) But they didn't have any idea before they came. I don't know how they all became so creative. Um, And they weren't worried about if they failed or not. They just did it.
1: It's an amazing history. Something that we, because the reason why we kind of came across your work, Leslie, is that Babs and I both attended the Helmut Newton show at the Jewish Museum. Um, And saw you speaking there. So I guess one of the kind of questions I wanted to ask you is that we know that um, Helmut Newton arrived in Australia and ended up on Flinders in I think the late 40s. But what if you start like when did Flinders Lane start being this kind of like vibrant creative hub?
3: Well, it goes right, my earliest story in my book goes right back to the turn of the century when my earliest story was a mathematician from Moscow who came out in 1870 or something like that. Don't quote me on that, but it's even (laughs) later it might have been. But he came out and his name was Laser Slutskin and he started a ladies' white underwear factory. And he employed a lot of migrants. This factory was huge in the end. Very religious uh, people. He was quite religious, religious Jewish. And then uh, he had all these people that came off the migrants. They all got a job at the factory, even including Sydney Meyer. So it all sprung up from these warehouses and factories because I think people didn't know what they were going to do when they got here and... It, it was just an easy industry to get into, and over generations it got bigger and bigger and bigger. As people left their employ, they started up on their own, and it was easier to. They, what they'd do is they'd look to see what was needed at the time, a niche field, hmm. and uh, it, you know, and there was a lot of arguments between parents and children in the industry because in one respect in one one case he he didn't want to do what his parents were doing no he wanted to make dresses and they were making something else i really uh, like um leslie
1: the quote in the book that or the one of the introductory kind of paragraphs says that it's many families that go from rags to riches and some that go back to rags again
3: that's right. <laughs> they
2: were um, they were dreamers. Uh, they, they I, dreamers. I love how you use that word dreamers quite a few times. Yeah. I, I was yeah. wondering uh, if you could paint for us a picture of what things were like during the late 40s to 50s in Helmut yes. Newton's time on the street.
3: That was an interesting time because uh, everything was getting back to normal, so-called normal, after World War II. There were great shortages and uh, in fabrics. Some people had some fabrics left over from, be- from before the war, and others had to go to America to, to get some kind of a-, a deal with the government so that they can go and get fabrics from America to start up again and then it was a very interesting time because people were all enthusiastic about uh, you know creating new fashions because the new look from christian deal had happened in 1947 and Melbourne always wanted to, uh, echoed what was going on in Europe. So they needed a lot of fabric for those big skirts and dresses mm. and nipped in waist, but big, big, a lot of fabric for the skirt and dresses. And uh, there, was a, there was a renewal of social calendars. This is and a weird on.
1: question, Leslie. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. You know when yeah. you talk about like the new look and this kind of like uh, aspirational Melbourne looking to Europe for fashion? Babs yes. and I are um, internet Zoomers. We only know <laughs> looking at clothes on the internet. How do how are people receiving this new look in Melbourne from Europe?
3: Oh, well, in America and other places, the designers didn't like the new look because after the war, they'd all got used to, during the war, they'd got used to wearing shorter things, more more for the working woman much more easier to get around in clothes and now all of a sudden they've been plunged back into the older days with this new look from christian Mm -hmm. dion but then he wanted to create a more feminine look again and so we melbourne's social calendar became quite busy with uh, debutante balls and um and mayor mayoral balls and the down of the year and all this and it encouraged people were different then they were more into how they looked and and presenting themselves and 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 shopping for the latest trend and competing and also the women's weekly they used to have all their faces in who's been seen, the social pages. uh, Those
2: categories are quite interesting in fashion today. Like people kind of compete for, uh, what is it, like the BFA or like um, big big sort of um, scholarships and so on. But it seemed like people were trying to make their way on the lane like winning in a certain category. Um, do you do you have particular memories of like certain competitions that were told to you that really stuck out?
3: oh yes they were this could make or break a label starting up if they won the gown of the year they were intricate most of it was evening wear and there was intricate beading in those days intricate beading all over and uh, the way the fabric flowed and all this and they were all competing to to make the most outstanding it was a big night a big night and a lot of money rested on if there were different categories yeah different categories and Uh, It was something to aim for, and people were they just wanted to live again and and experience the return of glamour. Mm -hmm. And into this world, of course, were the photographers Um, Bruno Bernini, Athel Schmidt, and Helmut Newton all. Uh, Buzzed around, uh, you know, um, talking. What you call it? Smoothing. <laughs> and all these factories. You've got to imagine all these old buildings. They were old then, I think. Mm. No, they probably weren't. But they were. Yes, they were. They were probably fifty or sixty years already old. And the conditions weren't very good. And on every floor, there was a, a little. There was a whole load of little factories. And then imagine the clanging lift going up. The hydraulic lift. A lot of people got hurt in those lifts, and some people even died. They were just, they were dangerous.
1: Yeah. Someone um, was telling us the other day about um, lift ladies, which I hadn't even heard of. Pa- apparently, people with babs used to get a whole job where you would just sit in the lift and oh, take people yes. up and down.
3: I know. And on the until recently, in the Nicholas Building, there were two ladies that were running those lifts, and it was a remnant of the past. Yeah, and, it's amazing. Uh, they also used to have in the shops um, all sorts of funny things, like they'd put the money into these cylinders and they'd, they'd go f- flying across the ceiling to the accounts department. So they would put the change in it and send it back. It's I remember that as a child. But Flinders Lane had all sorts of people. It was a big community of all sorts of uh, fashion fabrics and... Um, Mm. Trims, as I said, people making belts and zips and machinery and hats, and this. And they had showrooms, and into these showrooms, the buyers came from the department stores a few times a year, and they held a lot of power. They're usually women, and um, then to get an order from one of these buyers was a big thing.
1: Something, and, um, I wanted to ask Leslie is yeah. that, um, also before we kind of gently wrap it up because we've got a big mm. show on, is that um, one of the kind of things we learnt in the Helmut Newton show is that mm-hmm. he was a part of this world with all like the debutante balls and the big awards, um, but then he started to become frustrated as he was looking to Europe and there was a more kind of radical and like free-wheeling culture there, um, and he left, but then Flinders Lane obviously changed and ultimately caught up to that. How do you see Flinders Lane now like what was that change from that time and how do we look how can we look at it now
3: well now it's lost its fashion community it lost it in the 1980s to 90s when parking became a problem and it was almost like a slow demise people moved out to the suburbs and you know, it, was, it had been like four generations by then. And a lot of the children didn't want to go into the business. They went into real estate and mm. with their parents' money and all this. And it kind of died out. And also with the overseas, uh, the quota, you were allowed to, to buy import. All the imports came. And then the making overseas in China and elsewhere. So it, it, it signaled the end of the uh, of Flinders Lane, in that respect, in that uh, creative culture, mm. that, that rag trade. But Helmut Newton would have enjoyed hobnobbing around because they all used to meet for lunch, all the different. Um, rag traders, even if they were opposing you know, they weren't, they were all <laughs> you know, opposing mm. each other in business and um, they'd meet at the ca- little cafes they had they had cafes there yeah. and um, also the Melbourne Theatre, I think there was the Russell Street Theatre was going so there was all these theatre people as well that were it. and it was a hodgepodge of creative eccentric people Yeah, it sounds and like an been, amazing um, place Yes, it was amazing, and and all the migrants coming from different countries, starting out. And a lot of the Jewish uh, migrants had experienced uh, terrible horrors in Europe, losing all their families, and they ended up running their own factories after a while. And. All their staff became like a family. Anyway, Leslie, can I read?
1: Can I read? um, I'm going to have to wrap it up, but one thing that I wanted to say that Babs and I absolutely loved about your book and all the amazing research that you brought into it was um, all of the jokes that you put throughout the book. So I was thinking to wrap up, can I read you back one of the jokes you put in?
3: Yes, which one would you like?
1: I'll read you one that is from the chapter that's titled Fabulous Frocks and Fishtail Gowns. Um, oh, that's Robert Salter. It's a he great had the label joke.
3: elegance in the Majorca building. That's
1: amazing. So the joke goes: A woman said to her girlfriend, "What do you think, Esther? Arnie Cohen asked me out for dinner." Esther replied, "Oh, did he? Well, you'll have a wonderful time." "How do you know?" asked the girlfriend. "Have you been out with him?" "As a matter of fact, I have," said Esther. "We," he asked me out for dinner. So I looked through my wardrobe and for every night for the best frock that I had to impress him, we went to a wonderful restaurant. And after that, we attended the theater. We had the best uh, seat in the house. And then he took me to a bar for a glass of champagne. I like this painting, a picture of luxury Flinders Lane. He asked me if I'd like to see his apartment. I said to him, I'd be very interested to see it. Once we were inside his apartment, he suddenly changed from being a perfect gentleman into a sex maniac. He threw me on the bed, (laughs) tore off my beautiful frock and ruined it. How terrible, says the friend. No, it wasn't, replied Esther. I had the most exciting sex I've ever experienced. (laughs) So you think I shouldn't go out with Arnie Cohen then, asked the girlfriend. Oh, of course you should go out with him, replied Esther. But better put on, an put on an old schmatter.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Leslie. We're going to say goodbye to you now. Um, okay, have a lovely then. evening.
3: Thank you very much.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Okay, <laughs> you, you told that one. I, I'd, like, I'd like to entertain you with a small story <laughs> notated by Leslie. Thank you very much. It is 1976. A year earlier, Jag, the Australian fashion (laughs) phenomenon, had (laughs) had opened its Beverly Hills store with much fanfare. The story goes on to say that many celebrities used to come and go from the space. Cher had her own unique routine for dispensing parcels on her shopping adventures to Jag. At the entrance of the store, she would whistle for her limo driver who immediately drove up, clipped open the trunk from a control (laughs) on the dashboard and waited to receive his cargo. Then, as though shooting basketball, Cher, from her position just inside the store, would expertly slam dunk several (laughs) shopping bags containing pairs of Jag jeans in the trunks. Skinny, skimpy fashions in the mid-70s were worn dangerously skin tight. In an attempt to create a smoother, seamless line when wearing jeans, women were shedding their panties. Ooh, Leslie. One day the JAG man was extremely distressed. She had developed a terrible itch and she was worried. (laughs) She got an emergency appointment with her gynecologist and told the rest of the staff members she would be back later that day. When she went to the gynecologist, he needed only a minute to make his diagnosis. He sent her home with a prescription, put on his gloves, told his secretary he'd be back in the afternoon and went straight down to Rodeo Drive. But this was no shopping excursion. Within five minutes, he put up a sign. This store will be closed for three days due to fumigation. Without a doubt, the boutique stock was plagued with the worst case of crabs he had ever seen <laughs> in his entire medical career. Oh, I hate that jag, pussy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's good. What an amazing book. Leslie is so awesome. Like the book has just crazy history. It's really amazing when you can read someone that's on such painstaking and diligent research about this beautiful city that we live in i often say melbourne is the greatest city in the world and it's stuff like this that really reminds me of it baruch Um. hashem thank you leslie
2: (laughs) thank you to the textile industry all
1: right (laughs) moving on i'm so upset said benny to his rabbi i took my son-in-law into my clothing business yesterday and i caught him kissing one of the models Hey, have a little patience," advised the rabbi. After all, men will be men. So he kissed one of the models. So what? It's not that terrible. But you don't understand," pleaded Benny. I make men's clothes. The Smathers
2: Store, three hundred and forty-five Lane, Flinders Lane, Melbourne.
4: Dr. Crystal Lord, your healing veterinarian. Dr. Crystal Lord, your loved ones, she will care
3: for them.
2: Dr. Crystal operates a vet clinic which practices integrative medicine, caring for pets holistically, looking at the course of their whole life. I know what it's like to be cared for by Crystal as a friend. I wish I was some kind of animal and could experience all kinds of things from her. Acupuncture, other types of integrative medicine, regular checkups, dentistry, the lot. If you have a furry creature, I highly recommend taking them to get to know Dr. Crystal 139 Surrey Road North, South Yarra, open Monday to Saturday. Full disclosure, like all things, our advertisements operate on a spectrum between truth and fakeness. That (laughs) ad for Dr. Crystal Lord was exceptionally true. I highly recommend going to check her out. Now, for a new world of illusions and reality, I'd like to take a minute to discuss the recent resort collection of Gucci, the Italian fashion house.
1: Gucci, Gucci, Gucci.
2: So this week it's like milan fashion week or something when i have like (laughs) you know (laughs) when i'm having like a particularly sort of mundane low vibe it's kind of awesome that the fashion weeks keep rolling i just have to go into the vogue runway app and bang i am super inspired and having a good time
1: looking at the vogue runway app on bab's ipad (laughs) really brought my mood up tonight
2: um I was kind of intrigued by the Gucci show not that it's anything special it's like quite remarkably uninspired but um I thought it was a good opportunity to just give something a proper crack so the show took place in Italy um in at like this old castle mm. um it was a really
1: amazing building that yeah. was probably my favorite Wait, is this segment like where we're reviewing the show, we're talking about it, we're yeah, rolling with it? Bit of,
2: bit of everything, bit of, bit of a lit review as well. I think yeah. we'll talk about the show for a sec and then I'd love to know your idea on um, the show's inspiration. Yes. Which, which is um, a particular essay written by Hannah Arendt in 1968 in reference to the works of Walter Benjamin.
1: The building that the show was at was um, Frederick II, the Holy Ro- Roman Emperor's sicilian palace it was amazing
2: it was built in the 13th century and essentially it's it's like an open sort of air building octagonally shaped it's sort of obsessively built around the number eight and apparently in its day it was home to all kinds of mathematicians and artists and, mm. and so on it's a little bit it's like a little just, bit
1: it's a little bit fucking cringe like alessandro tr- he's like it's like silicon valley
2: <laughs> well it <laughs> looks like james <laughs> terrell's sky space. The, yeah. So the, the show itself went for 40 minutes um the first 20 minutes of the youtube video are just kind of surrounding the building over and over again and you're kind of seeing it as it is imagining how time and space space fly over the open air mm. uh the show had like 101 looks and as it progressed. Um, it was interspersed with different sounds. Half of it was... There were excerpts from... It was the moon landing. Yeah, of Neil Armstrong and the moon landing, all of the... That kind of Mm. stuff. And then also nice sort of like ambient classical music getting a little bit more chaotic as time went on. And then by the end... Alessandro, the creative director, had written in the show copy that he wanted it to feel like a rave. I feel like he's really bad at going to parties slash wouldn't very yes. anti rave energy by it the like by rave. the end it was like a daft punk um sort of gig that mm. these lasers shot up from the roof <laughs> and which the people at the show wouldn't have been able to see you can see it in the video they shot up from the roof across one another so that the lasers cross-sected with one another at the cross section of the ceiling forming this like weird eight sided star of david if you it was not me. a star <laughs> of david
1: i thought that was kind of cool because like if you look at the castle from aerial perspective it's like perfectly symmetrical uh, I've been doing architectural renaissance analysis with my students and I can confirm this is classic renaissance shit um, but then they were like making this argument through the lighting that it was also kind of like an intergalactic space launching pad but it is kind of uncanny when you see these like r- formal resonances across millennia.
2: Well that was McKelly's argument he um, he he kind of postures that his style and his mode of designing is is a type of constellation building it's about connecting signs and symbols which don't appear connected otherwise mm. and he he wanted to think of cosmogony cosmogony um as a way <laughs> of metaphorically exploring and explaining his beliefs in that way i i, up I like to the, the point idea
1: that- of it but i find the clothes like often fugly
2: Yeah, what do you? So, for those of you who don't know, Alessandro Michele has been um, the so-called creative director of Gucci since 2015. Um, Gucci is owned by an even bigger and better corporation named Caring, um, which also owns Balenciaga and so on. So, if you imagine Caring as like RuPaul, and then each um, brand within it as one of the contestants, like (laughs) Balenciaga and so on. Demner at Balenciaga put it really well this week. His show was hosted at the New York Stock Exchange and had these like various kind of critiques of capitalism in it. The invitations were these stacks of fake money that were sprayed with a scent that smelled like real money. That dope. In the copy, he said explicitly like it's not – critique ultimately the entire point of a fashion designer is to create desire Mm. so each of these little brands it's their job to build stories create narrative around their clothes
1: live live text line is in um yes goochly is fugly af from friend (laughs) of the radio show hannah sim
2: i like a lot of their designs i really didn't like this They're they're mostly sort of like 70s glam then with some like random references to other things it's like
1: so many references
2: yeah I was there, like there's I, like gladiator sandals
1: there's like rock glam like leather vests with diamantes and like big baggy denim there's also like weird that oh the weirdest part of the show is that they're all wearing these like mouth chains that f- come into the side of their mouth and hang with these like bedangling ornaments they make them look like they've got like sparkly side beards.
2: I thought that they were metaphors to the way that all things what? are connected, you know, like your nose is connected to your mouth, yeah. which is connected to the silver in your ear.
1: I thought that they would have saliva leaking out the side of their mouth the entire time. <laughs> but you know, we have different reads on these things.
2: I wore a mouth guard when I was young. Did you?
1: <laughs> no, I was clean, completely clean, <laughs> empty. Um, it's like a lip piercing, but on the side, I thought I liked the, I was reading the Vogue um analysis of it. They said, Shut, oh, you know, those things are Called Chateline they're like little dangling Victorian ornaments. It's like Chateline and go-go girls, demure bourgeois ladies. That's how I describe you, Babs, and spectacular nocturnal creatures. I'm a, I can be long-limbed lover of bondage, and Sam can be romantic heroine swathed in yards of velvet. Uh, They said it was a feast of coherent discordances. I was doing some reading about Gucci in preparation for the show and came across Matthew Lindy, uh, erstwhile Melbourne fashion writer's critique of Gucci. He is a lot more qualified to talk about it than me and said that um, if you like – what does he say? There's a really funny quote. He says, whether or not Gucci's saturated Wesand and Safari discotheque is your thing, Michele's talent in designing Pepsi pansexual activism is lucrative. I think – I am not a huge fan.
2: I I like it in general. It's heaps of fun. I also love Wes Anderson. I like the (laughs) stylization of like um, an antiquated 20th century way of being 19th century. Mm. It's all like anachronistic and kind of tied to weird like hierarchies of class and so on that like don't make any fucking sense but um yeah it's it's a good kind of surreal but th- this was shit but we've stretched ourselves and it was channel- fun i like, had a good time looking <laughs> had at it a good time watching wait do, do you it. want
1: to do the um the ga- the guessing game now or at the end now
2: cuz then we can then we can talk about theory
1: okay, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i propose to babs that we both nominate um a look the, in the show that we think is, what did I say? One that is like I think is your vibe and then I pick my own vibe and then like, we see yeah. if we match up.
2: It's a game of family feud.
1: <laughs> what did you pick? Okay, can I propose which one I said was your vibe first? Yes, yeah,
2: say the look and describe it for us, please. Okay,
1: the look that I proposed for Babs, I wrote two. I said 43 or 67. I think I'm going to nominate, okay, you can pick this or I'm gonna tell you the other one, and then you can choose which one you think is more you. Where is it? This <laughs> interesting. Okay, describe them to us. Okay, I'll pick this one. Number sixty-seven is a per- except the okay. There's a few elements that aren't quite Babs. The first element that isn't Babs is the leopard print bucket hat which reminds me of the most punishing Zoomers that used to sit next to me at the library and kiss each other's cheeks all the time. But the other elements of it is heaps and heaps of huge pearl necklaces, very babs, and also some, uh, I would say, not teal, maybe like a, what would you call the stocking colour?
2: I'm literally wearing like that colour stuff. Yeah, sorry.
1: You're literally wearing them right now. Um, they're like this kind of dark teal, maybe like um Mm, light teal. Light no, the yours are light teal. These are slightly darker stockings. They're maybe like um they're What's a the little name bit like of that colour, the...
2: it's literally the color of the independence in the Australian
1: election. What's the yeah the teal. <laughs> yeah, Babs's the teal, teal, teal election <laughs> ca- candidate. <laughs> Babs's teal candidature outfit and then the model is also wearing this kind of like two-piece beige uh misshapen suit also very you.
2: Mm. And the and the pearls um just to weave the the theory through and um, pearls are everywhere in this collection.
3: And in my own
2: life. And um, the reason for that is um, that Alessandra refers to Walter Benjamin and Hannah Arendt together and the way that um, Walter Benjamin used quotes in his work. Mm. Um, Arendt um, refers to a quote from Shakespeare's The Tempest um, saying that the, the user of quotes in this way is like a pearl diver who descends to the bottom of the sea, not to excavate the bottom and bring it to the light, but to pry loose the rich and the strange, the pearls and the coral in the depths, and to carry them to the surface. This thinking delves into the depths of the past, but not in order to resuscitate it the way it was and to contribute to the renewal of extinct ages, what guides this thinking is the conviction that although the living is subject to the ruin of the time, the process of decay is at the same time a process of crystallization.
1: Genius. But to getting to the theory of it, like I thought the essay was beautiful. I read it um, and really enjoyed it. But also like the kind of argument about it, which is that like Benjamin is constantly bringing up pearly quotes from the depths of the mire of the past sea. I feel like this show is kind of – a botched version of that because like Arendt's argument is that Benjamin's quotes are like pearls that are perfectly combining and like making a new through like synthesis and curation. Whereas the references in this show, which is like the same thing in in fashion form, like many different visual quotes from past eras, they're just kind of like a bit fucking ugly.
2: Mm. Yeah, the argument is that um, so Walter Benjamin was like, Not officially a Marxist, but like in general terms, he came from a rich Jewish family and was pretty disillusioned with the the falsities of um, bourgeois life makes sense mm. um and, and he unreal <laughs> <Aren't we> <laughs> uh he was interested in trying to engage with some kind of spiritual truth in the world mm. um particularly in the form of the like scraps around us at the end of history in the 20th century a german jew who who came up through the weimar republic was seeing the nazis he wanted to see what scraps he could find through language that spoke out of context to some kind of like ephemeral wisdom. But more importantly. And (laughs) and in in this show, it's kind of funny because I I guess Alessandro is arguing he's taken all of these fashion references out of their context. He's Mm. stripped them of their context and he has brought them all together in a constellation that should speak to some kind of, huge wisdom that reaches to the cosmos that you should be able to look down from the stars and say ah here are all of the pearls that have been brought up the coral that's been formed over time and also on top of that Mm. it's like edginess because benjamin argues that um in the act of tearing a quote from its original context it's a destructive act and in that destruction and roughage you kind of like shine something up so, so the is idea like, is but, that like we should feel the violence of how he's brought random shit up to like- describe <laughs> this
1: to you like the how this manifests in real talk is like fucking random elizabethan collars like choking these anemic models or they're like there's quite a recurring cut which i was quite into which is like a maxi dress with um stripes that Opens up on the bare belly. Of... Okay,
2: fine. You brought it up. That's that my, my favorite my... look. Is no, that your favorite look? My favorite <laughs> look. No, I <laughs> wanted that one.
1: <laughs> no, it's That's cool. a good one. It's so a good cut.
2: The, be- the best looks in the collection are these sort of mod looks. Yes. We're very you very, love very the 60s. modish. I love the 60s. Very Wait, modish. let's do some there's, description of the other ones. There's ori- a lot of orange and white and black and white color blocking, Big which I enjoyed. Coats.
1: This was another one that I thought was a candidate for you. It's a silk suit with lots of large spots on it, and the model is wearing bright orange latex gloves
2: i did write that one down but i can't remember if it was for you or for me and the spots are inverted so the jacket is black with white spots and the bottom is white Lots with of black spots. sexy
1: translucent gauzy gowns just like so many random references it's hard to even know where to start listeners should just like have a look for themselves while we're lie. talking Cam, okay do mine now. now you wait can you say what one you picked for yourself
2: Yeah, so besides that maxi dress, yeah, you got it. The maxi dress, the inverted polka dot suit, um, I also liked – Wait,
1: did you pick one of the ones that I said? Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah.
2: Um, Well, that maxi dress was that, yeah. Sounds- um, I also like this um, color blocky one at the beginning, Look 6, um, which was a red and cream color block mm. suit with a cowl neck. I don't think it, it's fit very nicely. The pants aren't working. The shoes are wrong. But from the top up, it's decent. Um, I, I just really enjoy like a nice cross-section look and a cowl neck, of course. Um, and, of course. And I don't know. Some I other- guess the thing
1: about this show is that there's like so much shit being thrown at the Renaissance. Wall that like something has to stick.
2: I thought you'd like this one. It's, yes, it's, that was my pick. Really?
1: <laughs> but that's the most obvious sexy, normie yeah, chick one.
2: Um, <laughs> it's look twenty-eight. It's fucking spaghetti straps. It's a, it's a cute little pink dress, and there's these like um, baby bu- baby blue. Um,
1: I love a bare bust and a long baby blue latex glove. <laughs> yeah,
2: it remind Um Cam and I were extras in a local movie recently <laughs> called Petrol, and um, Cam had to wear something that was basically this um and look
1: great I, I'm often dressed very demurely so when I get my decolletage out I always feel so risque and I was you know I was thinking of myself on that runway and seeing myself in that kind of look I also thought that the final look this kind of weird mage look was good because the whole thing was so like you know epic and ambitious so I was like you gotta pay it to him this like cosmogony of references or whatever the fuck it is yeah
2: the final look is like this um, cloak that's in a sort of <laughs> the, so the, the deep colors the whole of the thing nice cheesy. guy. Yeah, it's
1: <laughs> it is what it, it is. It is what it
2: is. But um, if you go on Caring's website, it's kind of interesting. Like each of the brands does what they can do to engage the audience of the day that has the money to buy the shit. Um, so they explicitly say that they're they're trying to advertise to millennials, which is another reason why they're engaging with bullshit over the top theory Mm. like who the actual fuck is looking at a fashion show and then looking at walter benjamin like us no but (laughs) we're not buying we just read
1: like i read like 50 pages of walter benjamin
2: (laughs) (laughs) preparation me too but i'm glad okay so basically as a a jewish person like i know at some point in my life i'm gonna read a rant i'm gonna read binyamin but like i was waiting for the right moment and turns out that moment was gucci
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you gucci (laughs) all right
2: um shall we yeah fuck it what, what, what do you have let's to roll say on wait no, no. more theory we've done
5: we've said i'm it. done we've with said the theory it. i
1: like the i like the quotations i like the ambition but like the show is about the like oh, performance of reading theory it's not about real reading theory. oh
2: yeah of course it's 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 this new new appeal to the elite millennial yes um okay i wanted to say that um yeah sorry, Alessandro, you did a shit job at bringing all of these <laughs> quotes together. Um, Walter Benjamin does a fine job of it. I read a little bit of um, his um, essay about translation where he kind of puts together a series of aphorisms or little stories and truisms that are vaguely linked to one another. And it really reminded me of my mum, who was a collector of quotations. Growing up, we had Heaps of books in the house, which were really shit. They were just collections of quotes, basically. Um, She had one that was called No Tattoos Before You're 30, Unless It's a Dolphin on Your Forehead. Um, (laughs) um, And I just went through um, her email. She emails herself sayings all the time. So I looked up the word sayings in her
1: email. These were three. You're really bringing up some pearls from the deep (laughs) of the ocean here. Pearls Pearls of wisdom from your (laughs) Gmail Jewish thread chain.
2: (laughs) These are three quotes from my mum's Gmail. One, desire molds what we believe to be the truth
1: from the Talmud.
2: Very fashion industry I thought that was (laughs)
1: Lacan.
2: She had a couple from Jung. I was like, I know you're in hypnotherapy, (laughs) but really? Um, Then the next one, let the past be content with itself, for man needs forgetfulness as well as memory. James Stevens. Yes. And finally, this is a bit of a Lululemon moment, freedom (laughs) noun, to ask nothing, to expect nothing, to depend on nothing. Ayn Rand. Thank you for sharing.
0: <laughs> and- Good evening, listeners. This is Crystal Balls. Can I tell you what? The library is open. The phone lights are on, and it is time to get red. Now we've got our first caller. Hello. Hi. I'm I'm haunted. All right, sis, go off. It is giving dusty old demon energy. Uh, yeah. Conti Queen, yes! Grab that wig with her skunky skull bench. We don't need no dry, thirsty fucking wigs in this house. I guess so. I am gagging. Fierce. I see lettuce, tomato, halal, lamb. A wrap. Oh my god, you're dressed as a wrap. Do you want garlic sauce? Yes, Queen. Are you a little Twinkie Pop out on Smith Street on a Thursday? Are you vomiting in a gutter? Is it Smith Street? Girl, you tell me. Look, I clocked you at the peel last night, bitch. I clocked you at circuit. I even clocked you at wet. You are looking for love, (laughs) if that's what you call it. Read the room, bitch. Ignore the ghost. Soleil. You're a beautiful, successful little man with an itty bitty. No, I'm kidding. Giant cock. Mm. (sighs) Thank you, crystal balls.
2: Thank you to our guest psychic medium, Crystal Balls. On to the theatre.
1: The theatre. It's not often that you get a meme page that writes an original play, but that is what we have on the show tonight. Uh, Meme admins, a genre of person that we love on this radio show, uh, club night guest list, have actually penned a play which is having a debut at Miscellanea in a few weeks' time. What we're going to do tonight on the show is have a live reading from the stars of Club Night guest list. Or is it just – no, sorry, it's just Club Night. Um, we're going to just, you know, start in Medeus Res, as they say in the theatre. I'm going to phone them in right now and we'll, uh, yeah, read from the script and get into it. Phoning in.
2: Racking up the phone bills today. I know.
1: Oh, no, no phone in. Hello. Hello. Hello, the stars of the stage. Let's get straight into it. <laughs> Scene one, pre's at Anna's house. Gemma and Anna are at pre drinks at Anna's house. Serene is seriously late.
6: I can't believe we're finally doing this. OMG. I have missed you so much. Totally. Where the heck is Serena.
5: How should I know?
6: I didn't know you drank kombucha.
5: It's a pet nap. A pet what? <gasps> we had it last time we went out. Oh, at the pub. That was Carlton Wine Room.
7: Hello, my divine children of the earth. My deepest apologies for running late. I was at Bikram Yoga.
5: Okay, Mother Gaia. Thank you. Please don't pluck my hair.
7: Oh, Anna, your place. It's nice. Why does it look like miscellaneous? Yeah, it's a vibe. You go to MISC? Who are all
5: of these people? Oh, they're my housemates. Ignore them.
7: I like your new haircut. She's looking lovely. (laughs) They she.
6: Serene, you're glowing too.
7: Thank you so much. I've been detoxing from negative energy. I find showing up for yourself is just as important as showing up for others.
6: That's really cool. Thank you. I actually got a new job at an escape room.
5: (laughs) I've been mixing a lot. Oh,
6: baking. So cute.
5: No, I mean DJing. Oh. Serena, I noticed your little rebrand on Insta.
7: Since when are you so into pushing crystals? I'm actually going by Serene. Now, I found my past life wasn't serving me. I guess you could say, I found the light. <laughs> you mean you picked up the ring light? I actually only use natural sunlight for my content, so.
6: My queen, I actually bought you a present to say congrats on hitting 33k followers.
7: I'm not in it for the numbers, honey, but thank you so much.
5: Wow. I wish I could convince that many people to join my cult.
7: My followers are not a cult. We are family. 33k is impressive. Angel numbers.
5: Yeah. Co-opting spirituality is super cool.
6: (sighs) I was going to keep it for myself, but I'm straight and I don't smoke, so...
1: Uh, Stage direction, Gemma whips out a rainbow bong.
5: Oh, my God. Why is it rainbow? Hashtag happy Pride Month. Gemma,
6: it's June. Every day is Pride Day.
7: I really appreciate you, Gemma.
6: I put the ally in LGBTQIA+.
7: That's for asexual. (laughs) Right. A toast. To softness and to strength. To being reunited. To the park rave.
6: Wait, no, I thought we were going to Thursday's, like old times. What?
7: I thought we were going to the huge house party in Carlton North. No, 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 no. I told some clients of mine I'd be there. Clients? Yeah. I just feel like customer is so capitalist and dehumanizing. It's not a transaction it's an experience what are you talking about
6: serene has a cbd oil and weed business.
5: what the fuck is a business? woman Woman owned owned business.
7: business oh so you're a drug dealer now no don't put me into a box weed is really a drug i'm selling plants and calming vibes Whatever. My outfit is too
5: good for either of those options.
7: We are going to the park rave.
6: No, we're going to Yaya's. Daniel said he'd come.
5: Who is Daniel?
6: My hot, sexy, stud muffin bubbers.
7: Gemma, I want you to go inside yourself and think about why that's slightly problematic. Okay.
5: Why? She means you shouldn't be inviting your boyfriend into queer spaces.
6: Okay, guys, he kissed his best friend as a joke once. Oh,
5: Gemma, you really shouldn't say guys. It isn't gender neutral and it actually positions
7: men as the default. I have to agree. de language is really important.
6: You guys are really woke. <sighs> you just did it again. Oh, oopsie. <laughs> um, so where are we going? The
5: park
7: rave. Anna, I have this DJ friend I could introduce you to at the house party.
5: Thanks, Serena, but I always knew the DJ. It's Serene. Mila is DJing at the rave, and I think there's a chance we could go back to back. What does that mean? I can't take this anymore. Should we get a bag?
6: I've got a new one from AliExpress. Do you want to borrow it?
5: No.
7: Serene, are you in? I treat my body with more love and respect these days, Anna. I'm sorry, but I'll have to decline.
6: Go off, bestie.
7: Thank you. How's the job hunting going? I couldn't tell you. I haven't been looking. I need a break from being a cog in the machine. Do you know what I mean? I'm really enjoying this time to, like, heal... Hold myself. Work on my vibe. Work on my frequency. Do my brand collaborations. Plus, my business clients are so supportive. It's crazy. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, where do you get
6: all the weed from? Because it's
7: never Never asked that.
5: Sorry. Anyway, what do you two think of my new top? Looks really expensive.
7: It was three hundred dollars. Whoopsies. My whole outfit tonight is secondhand.
6: <laughs> I can tell. Uh, Serene, I've seen you spend more than 300 bucks on one pair
7: of shoes. That was in my past life, Jamal. Besides, you shop a DFO. <laughs>
6: <laughs> okay, but who doesn't love a bargain?
5: <laughs> I don't do bargains. I do barrigan.
6: I don't know what that is. Oh,
7: it's a brand, honey. You have a very elitist mindset, Anna.
5: Yeah, where are you working? I'm a DJ. And a door bitch. And a trust fund, baby. Uh, of course I have a trust.
7: <laughs> Do you hear yourself sometimes, honey? Whatever. Gemma doesn't pay rent either. That's because Gemma lives with her mom and dad. I am saving for Europe. I can't believe you don't pay your own rent. I am poor. My parents are rich. That's the same thing, Anna. Okay, yes. My dad is my landlord, but I
5: acknowledge my privilege. I'm very grateful that my parents can assist me with my living expenses
7: while I work on my music career. Did you rehearse that?
5: Please don't tell my housemates.
7: I am an open book. I am honest... Honest truthful, and, and authentic. What the fuck? It's an affirmation on honesty, Anna. I really think
5: you should use it. People look at you differently when they find out you're rich.
7: that oh, must be really hard for you.
5: I may not pay my rent, but I do pay the rent. Oh my God.
6: Okay, can we please decide on where we're going tonight? No. Yes.
5: Come on, we never hang out anymore.
6: Let's make a pact. 1.5 hours at each venue.
7: An hour at Yaya's will kill me. I don't subscribe to the concept of time, but I need at least two hours at the house party. I need minimum four at the rave.
6: Well, I can't miss the drag performances, so can we go to Yaya's
7: first? That works. I have to sell my drugs at 11.
5: Fine. I can't be seen at the rave before 1 anyway.
6: 1 a.m.? in the morning? Just have
5: some speed, you'll be fine. <gasps> I could literally never?
7: The arts of compromise.
6: Should we spit on it?
7: That's really unhygienic, Jamal.
6: Okay, just elbow it.
7: No thanks. Let's get the bus if it's right.
6: Everyone topped up their mic, yes.
5: I would rather shop at Savers than be seen on a bus.
7: To release the ego is to embrace, embrace the, the soul. soul. Can you stop doing that?
1: End scene Thank you club night Three friends, two bitches and one nice one uh, Head off for a (laughs) night Head off for a night on the town In this incredible play uh, Following one night Three girls Or three people, sorry um, And three venues? Yeah Give us the quick synopsis and tell us the dates And then we're flicking you off air Mm.
6: (laughs) Straight up
5: yeah, so the play's about, as you said, three old friends. They reunite for a night in the town. They hit yayas They hit a house party in Carlton North. And then they end up at Yarra Bend for a park rave. <laughs> as you do. Where can um, we see this? You can see this at Miscellanea this June, 21 to 24, followed by an after party on Friday the 24th. With I love drag it. performances and DJs.
1: I love that yeah. the play is taking place, like, in the club, like the play is about the club, but it's also like in the club.
7: That's cool. Pretty tongue in cheek, yeah.
6: <laughs> we'll be um, using the DJ decks, expect a lot of walking through the audience, A little bit of everything in the club.
1: Um, and where can we buy the tickets? Where can we find the link? Link in bio. Yeah, but like which, which bio? <laughs> <laughs> it's always in so- the bio, but they never say which one.
5: Exactly. At Club Night Guest List, you'll find the tickets to both all five shows and the after party. Thank
1: you, incredible actors. You guys have talent, that's for sure. Um, We'll be (laughs) seeing you there. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you.
4: (laughs) Hello there. Do you love Silty Delights? Of course you do. It's only human. I love Silty Delights too. Everyone in Sheffield loves Silty Delights When it comes to choosing Silty Delights I never looked past Uncle Tony Gregory's Salty Delights Sheffield's favourite Salty Delights since 1781 Uncle Tony Gregory's Salty Delights are the only Salty Delights in the UK that will please the wife and the children Just listen to these convincing testimonials
3: Hello, my name's Trevor. I'm 12 years old, and I'm a milling machine operator from the south of Sheffield. I love the Sheffield Wednesday Owls, and I love Uncle Tony Gregory's salty delights. They're the only things that keep my mind off the potential of losing my fingers in the milling machine in a hard day's work. Thank you, Uncle Tony Gregory. Hello, my name's Paula. I'm also a milling machine operator from Sheffield South, Uncle Tony Gregory's salty delights are the only thing that keeps me from having endevilish thoughts during a hard day operating the milling machine. I really love Uncle Tony Gregory because he's kept me and my husband's marriage together. Thank you, Uncle Tony Gregory.
4: Uncle Tony Gregory's salty delights. Sheffield's favourite salty delights since 1781. And
2: now another... Unsponsored ad. Officially, we're critiquing this thing, but I do know inevitably we're going to be amping up the amount of hits they're going to get on the Google's after this. So for those <laughs> so of many us people listening to our show, <laughs> it still hurts. Um, so. <laughs> There's this company called Milk Run, okay? I keep calling it Milk Fed because of that novel that came out last year about the anorexic Jewish girl with a Hasidic boy at the uh, yogurt shop. Um, But it's called Milk Run. Um, It's massive in Sydney. It's a startup. Woo! What they do is they offer deliveries of groceries in 10. Under 10. Under 10 minutes, okay?
1: Whoa.
2: Um, Basically fucking dodgy and
1: rude to (laughs) workers. that shit can't be right it's
2: unbelievable they're not Um, no no
1: (laughs) we got that's not the feedback we got so i'll
2: start i'll start off by saying like my my first experience of it besides seeing it plastered um on the walls everywhere and like on a maserati on the streets of sydney um last friday night um i was trying to go to a post shabbos dinner party and i'd been instructed to bring papers and tinfoil I was driving up Kingsway with a friend and we drove past, um, a blue supermarket looking warehouse and we started going in. My friend was a bit nervous cause there was a, a dude in the entrance who was kind of tweaking, kind of jumping up and down and stuff. And I was like, I don't really mind. Um, we walk in and are confronted by two 20 year olds, um, <laughs> The, one the best of, age of all time. One of them is wearing a flat cap and headphones. He is DJing in the warehouse. He is playing a, um, the live version of Daft Punk's Harder,
1: Better, Faster, <laughs>
2: Stronger. And I Under
1: ask, 10 minute delivery. <laughs>
2: I asked them if I can purchase some goods and they let me know immediately. They are no supermarket. In fact, they are a milk run hub. Um, A dark supermarket. It's not a place where you can go and buy things. You need to order it and then expect it to come to you within 10 minutes. This was my first time chatting to Milk Run employees in person. The basic feelings are extreme cultishness. Within a couple of minutes, they were complimenting us on our fits and our vibe and telling us that we should come down, Mm. to which I said, what the fuck does that mean? Do you mean get a job here? Yes, and, it does. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like the main thing with Milk Run is just recruiting and recruiting. They're really big on advertising. But that to they give,
1: have- let's like explain the kind of interest to the listeners. Like mm. I think we were interested in them because they were everywhere. They're omnipresent. Um, it seems too good to be true. We wanted to get the inside scoop. Bab's got this first hand experience. We also spoke to two anonymous employees
2: one of whom we met on a discord server
1: oh yeah that's some (laughs) underground shit man (laughs) we're not going in everyday channels so mine did come through instagram because
2: the crux of it is they're trying to advertise that they pay um proper casual wages it's not a gig economy thing and that they hire nice white boys to do the job so naturally they hire like like POCs as well
1: that are like doing a hop skip and a jump all of their advertising is like daggy millennial like it's like it looks like it was made in, like, 2016. It's all these, like, janky millennials in, like, little boy blue, Eve mini Klein short, blue. Eve Klein blue, like, pseudo-industrial workwear, like, hopping and skipping around Smith Street. like. And I think that, like, <laughs> it's kind of funny how much they stress how well-paid and well-looked-after their workers is because every, like, woke fuck that sees their marketing is like, um, groceries in 10 minutes, like, I really want that, but I shouldn't because it's probably not ethical. And they're like, no. These workers love to bring it to you in 10
2: minutes. We've been told that they get... the 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 brand identity involves being really friendly and cool. So when they drop things <laughs> off within the ten minutes, even though officially apparently they don't even have to do it within ten, it's just the idea that matters. Um, when they drop it off, they're meant to have like a compulsory little chat with the person they yeah, drop it Yeah, Like off the to. Uber
1: driver's like, here's your pad tie. The milk run guy is like, Yo, 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 who ordered an avocado? Come down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I was suspicious of it, but I really fucking love discounts and they had some really good ones at the start of the rollout in Melbourne. So I did order like heaps of groceries online and got a um, $30 discount, which was good. But like, I don't know. Do you, I don't think we're really the market for this service. I reckon we
2: definitely are.
1: But we spoke to the punters like who were working there. Apparently it's filled with young Zoomers and millennials. It's like, expanding so rapidly that they're constantly trying to get people to hire their friends if you keep a friend on there for long enough you get an employment bonus um apparently they're like trying to be hip and cool they play Rick and Morty in the warehouses um our secret source also told me that they had to do like a Zumba dance exercise to like get everyone in the mood together but then since that initial kind of corporate uh happy day things are just like regular work it seems like totally fine work I just kind of I'm irked by their corporate persona of like quirked up millennial. I don't know. I don't like it. Doesn't, doesn't it, it shits me?
2: It makes sense with the business model. I it, I might think about Gucci in a minute in relation to this as well. But essentially, the groceries are cheap, deliveries are cheap. They have a lot of workers and they're paying proper wages. Um, Also, for the record, when Uber first started, they did kind of similar things. Mm -hmm. Uber used to pay their drivers really well. um, And a lot of speculation at the moment is that the model these people are working on is building up a story and a narrative and so much buzz so quickly that by the time they list the company publicly for their initial public offering, they'll they'll be able to get heaps of people buying in and yeah. then it becomes all about the stocks and the share prices and so on. That's so- what
1: freaks me out about it. And it's like, because it's like, it, th- it makes me think, it's kind of just a really visible example of like a highly speculative economy where everything is about these like intangible values and there's like all this capital flowing around, but like, what does it really mean? What's the kind of actual service being provided?
2: Well, that's one of the like bizarre things about speculation and spectacle. It's like, someone sitting at home the kind of guy who wants to make a heap of money um Mm. just with an idea and they're they're operating on a system of desire as well they're like like gucci like balenciaga they're like how do i make people want to buy this stock but and i think it's kind of funny that their answer is ooh people would get really excited about a gig economy industry that has proper wages and is blue
1: but it's like a two kind of pronged approach because there's like the yuppies buying the product who are like, oh yeah, we want to see our workers paid properly. But then it's also like a double proposition for the like venture capitalists and the like future stock market to then be like, oh yes, like this is what millennials want. Like this will become solvent in the future. They raise like one of the highest amounts of venture capital in Australia ever, $75 million, which is not common. Like VC capital for startups is like not common in Australia, but Milkrun is one of the companies that has done it but i guess the question i have for it is like people have been speculating for a long time that these like gig economy like tech platform apps whatever are going to burst like you know do you remember when we work collapsed
2: Nah, what happened
1: like we work the co-working spaces mm-hmm. basically had like all this hype about how it was like the future and like everything was gonna go like so well for it raise like heaps of money it completely plummeted and went to shit because it was all just, like, speculation and inflation. But the guy still cashed out with heaps of money that started it, the founder. So I'm like, I just wonder if that's what... I don't know. Like, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an investor, but, like, how can they possibly make money? Like, is the end game to actually make Money as a grocery store, maybe they, li-
2: they list it. People buy for a certain price. The owner sells six percent of his stock and then just makes like an initial bit. But I kind of what just, happens to it after. And then afterwards, people just keep trading and trading on it, and like inevitably, it gets like bought out by a bigger company and becomes part of like a bigger share package. Um, it no, it random, it's random capitalist bullshit. But I kind of am intrigued why why people aren't doing more fun things for so the speculation. Like it's kind of why the whole. NFT um, and, like, bullshit coin market is Mm. more fun because people are pretending less. They're, like, creating coins and NFTs that represent, like, random silly things and then people get excited about it, like the Dogecoin and Mm. stuff, and there's no expectation that the service should have any kind of, like ethical moral or like social good attached to it and then people just hop on that ride and it's just a way for their money to float around yeah it's it kind of like
1: transparently no correlation between like value and like the actual like material value yeah. and the like proposed value or whatever
2: and that and the song and dance of like making monkeys jump like getting getting human beings to ride around rushing to deliver goods potentially injuring themselves like even though we've been told that they're not being pushed to rush at the moment mm. i have no doubt that when the rolls out properly there are going to be fucking accidents and people won't just have to have a nice time with daft punk at the hub
1: but apparently they're really overstaffed because of the 10 minutes thing like will they what's worse if they stop rolling this out is it if you have a choice groceries delivered in 20 minutes um or staff being massively underpaid what do you pick like staff on gig economy because you think they'll roll back the Good wages? Like, yeah, they'll know. roll
2: back the good wages. And they'll roll back the
1: 10 minutes. Yeah. That's how they get you.
2: While we've been talking about this all week, in the last three days now I've been getting sponsored ads from Uber telling me that if I sign up now I get a $750 bonus if I do 20 rides.
1: But you know that the founder of Milkrun said that the reason why Uber is really understaffed at the moment is because he they don't retain their staff in these kind of like um, valuable part-time or casual contracts. So like in a way it could be a good news story about – the market revaluing properly paid work if you weren't a cynical downer. Interesting. You know, like that could be a rebalancing.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I, I think based on the likelihood of the model not making any money on the ground, it's unlikely. And as far as like, yeah, distribution, of the wealth of the company, unless they're doing that Google thing and giving workers on the ground shares, they're not going to get that.
1: You know, the guy started that koala bed thing as what, well.
2: What, what do you have on that koala? Like, why he is he still in in bed? With well, their whole shtick is
1: just that. Like, he just seems to start these random companies that do one thing that seems like semi convenient. Like, the koala has, like, free delivery and free returns, but then they just have, like, heaps of, like, meme marketing. But apparently the guy that does all the marketing for them was a labor staffer that was the first person to realize, like, how impactful – data harvesting of people was i know it's kind of just like that's why i find it so fucking like depressing and creepy because they're like hello fellow kids we're just like (laughs) you bringing your milk to you and it's like no you guys are fucking demons that are like harvesting all of our data to give us these like crap little corporate reply like but they have
2: access to like the way that we like things to look and so on. It, but, no. Again, again, to go back to Gucci, it, it's it, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny, like the song and the dance. I've got to mention with the Gucci show um, and the, the metaphor, again, it's about the story of how you get people to invest in your corporation. Yeah. Firstly, every guest at the Gucci show, they bought a star for in the solar system. <laughs> every single guest got a star and it got me thinking about um, that new peer-to-peer Operating server, Urbit, which Mm. is, um, sorry, I did listen to the Red Scare (laughs) episode. (laughs) Um, It's fine. It's just like a decentralized platform where um, you can purchase this like network Mm. called a galaxy. It uses the metaphor of cosmology and stars. And then within your galaxy, then you, as a feudal lord, can resell different parts of it, like planets and so on. Can I be in your galaxy? Um, There is no way in hell I'm getting involved in shit like that. But we can coexist together in the real world. <laughs> um, I don't know. Just about- thinking about storytelling and money, it's it's cooked and I don't get why we can't just tell stories on the radio for what, fun. What about
1: this story? The guy said that the founder of Koala and Milkron said that the way that they access success and they started is that they replied to every single Facebook comment.
2: I've seen yeah. that. It's the super passive aggressive. I find that
1: that strategy like gag worthy but he's like if 6,000 people commented on our post we would make sure to reply to every single one it's like how fucking dumb do you have to be to be a person commenting on that and being like fuck you milk run and then they're like fuck you too here's a discount you're like hot gee thanks
2: my grandpa used to do that in 1995 for his mail order business it was terrible (laughs) it was really sad dear sir thank
1: you for writing (laughs) to me
2: in Afrikaans
1: anyway the Um, other like listener reports that we had in is that like people that work there are really hot so I don't know I'm willing like to kind of phase it into our next segment and set the scene I guess I'm I'm sceptical, but I'd like to be – I'd take what we can get in terms of workers' rights.
2: Fair, fair. We should expect the bare minimum at all times, (laughs) especially if you're the one on the other end ordering three ice creams in one night. But here we go. Final story for the evening. We'd like to end off with – we're going to – with an ad? Yes. (laughs) Second to last story. Let's
4: go.
1: About.
3: No, we'll
2: wait.
1: Right. Okay, cool. Um, we always like to keep the live listeners uh, waiting with a little bit of free bursting, a little bit of improv live on air. Maybe a bit of um, uh, breathing. Like okay. In the time that it takes to fix the sound issues, a banana can be delivered to you by a hottie in blue shorts.
4: <sighs> and now for a special news report from Crawl Space News. <laughs> you're used to having guys on bikes deliver meals with just a click on your phone but one new service is here to change the game of essential item delivery in melbourne and sydney Milfrun. it's a brand new service that promises milfs mothers you or i would like to fuck delivered to your door in just 10 minutes Milfrun ceo greg gregelson is here to tell us more
1: uh, yeah, when an order comes through. We've got about two minutes to pick and pack it up and eight minutes to deliver it.
4: And unlike any other delivery business, their staff are formally employed, not contractors.
1: Uh, yep, so they get super sick leave, insurance, all that stuff.
4: But Millfront isn't the only delivery service in the market. There's Mum's Best Friend Wakes Me Up Run, there's Busty Step Aunt Can't Help It Run, and are new competitors that come to mind... It's an incredibly crowded marketplace. So, Greg, what sets Millfront apart from the rest?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a crowded marketplace, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we're really confident
4: in our product, and we're looking forward to proving ourselves to our customers. Well, I guess time will tell who comes first. All the best to you, Greg. That's Millfront. daily essentials delivered in 10 minutes. Mark Johnson for Crawl Space News.
7: Okay, kids,
2: final story time. I want you to imagine one Anthony Albanese, a week before he ascends to the chair that is Prime Minister, he is in red shorts, topless on a desk. Behind him is the Labour Party (laughs) flag. He's surrounded by books that say tax on them.
0: Taxes,
7: yeah.
0: (laughs) Taxes. We will tax all of them. No, no, you idiot. But I want... You can't tell them. It's the only way... It's just votes. Well, our policies is fully costly. As he
2: says our policies are fully costed, what do you see on the screen, Cam?
1: I see a hellish Liberal Party ad of Anthony Albanese as a warped golem whispering like a demon in my ear.
2: The piece of paper written with red texture shows a smiley face that says costed.
0: Not fully costed. That's just what we tell them.
2: Okay. So you know what? We have wet your appetite perhaps. It's getting close God doesn't want
1: you time. to hear this ad. We we've,
2: we've closed up just as we cut to albo wearing a yellow construction hat before you get to see him in a fedora with a rainbow serpent handkerchief wearing a latte. I think we all know the answer to this story and where we've ended up. Go online to the Liberal Party YouTube channel to see the
1: rest. If you want to watch this ad, which I would highly recommend, um, it's called The Lord of the Flip Flops, The Return of Taxes. And it's all the sweeter, given uh, the huge centrist victory that I'm thrilled to experience from last week.
2: Thank you so much for joining us. And once again, Sam, Lucy, Channon, and Mumu, uh,
1: Uncle Tony's Salty Delights, my favourite snack. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, see you guys next time. Bye.
4: 360 bed. Oh, yeah. 360 bed. Uh huh. If you don't think it's the best mattress, then you are a dickhead.
2: Our bodies were made for foresting, hunting, foraging, but traditional mattresses force us to lie completely still the whole night. We may as well just lay down and die. Hell no. 360 Bed is a technological innovation that keeps you rotating slowly but steadily throughout your entire REM cycle. Telele Latex, coming at you from all angles.
4: 360 Bed. 360 Bed. 360
7: Bed. 360 Bed.
4: If you don't think it's the best mattress, then you are a dickhead. 360 Bed. Uh, wow,
2: uh, yeah, I, I just, I feel so good, uh, yeah, re- just really nice and good, uh, yeah, trust me, it's really good, yeah, yeah, I love it, it's really good, uh, uh I've never slept better, chromium springs, solar-powered motion sensor with constant wave motion, bowel massage, and
4: more, 360 bed, 360 bed if you don't think it's the best mattress and you are a dickhead
2: can't